clubhouse. This is Paul. This is Caroline. And tonight we're here to discuss the fifth episode of the third season of Hulu's The Handmaid's Tale. This one is called Unknown Caller. This one had a overarching theme of music and these cassette tapes. A lot of changing alliances amongst all of these people, all of our main players. So we are going to dive in by doing sort of grouping them up in different highlights with different relationships. So we're going to start off with June and the Lawrences. They start off with this safety conversation where June is trying Trying to ask Lawrence, is my husband safe? Do you think they would try to hurt him? Do you think he's in danger? Now, this is something that like all week you and I have been bantering back and forth. Like, did Luke put himself in a massive amount of danger by putting himself out there on TV with Nicole? So what do you think this idea of would they try to go get the baby? Before this episode, I guessed that the two countries did not have an extradition treaty. And they confirmed that in this episode. They said, well, we don't have an extradition treaty, blah, blah, blah. That leaves only a couple of other other things like an incursion, you know, or the Canadian government acting anyway. When we were talking about parallels to today's world, what we came up with were, is it is it more like when someone crosses from, say, North Korea to South Korea? And is, is South Korea ever going to give back someone that does that? Or is it more like Elian Gonzalez a couple of years ago, like 20 years ago now? Yeah, sadly, we're old now. Uh, where, you know, we didn't have really a lot of strong diplomatic ties with Cuba at the time, but we sent armed dudes in there after him. It's very dramatic stuff. If you haven't seen it, look it up. It's... um bad stuff. And that was that was uh, the the similar case of like a child being, you know, out of the the country they belong in and, you know, we are a country where you should be safe and instead, you know, here we were handing them back over. This was this was what I was worried about all freaking week with Luke is like this idea is really are they safe? Are they in danger? Now Lawrence shuts down this whole conversation by saying we are all in danger. Now, he is such a freaking puzzle that, you know, he could mean like environmentally like climate change or the fertility problems like you know he's so like grandiose in the way that he talks sometimes that like i just don't even know what he meant is he started out with a reinforcement of the idea that i have where he is intent on teaching her right yes so she comes just be popping around the corner and out of the corner of his eye, he notices her and he just says, no. <laughs> yeah. He knew right away that she was going to ask a bunch of questions or ask for something, some favor. That also kind of runs right into the, that paternal streak. I know that, 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 that shouldn't exist between these two, but remember how I was saying like mm, fair or unfair when the moment when he comes down the stairs and he asks uh, Lydia, about how many volts are in the the cattle prod, how I took that to be a little bit like a dad telling young daughters to quit messing around on the stairs. This is the same kind of thing. Daughter comes, beep, bop, boop, can I borrow the card? No, like that that same kind of dynamic happening here. I could see very much where, where you're going with that. And I agree, he, he plays such an intriguing role. And I mean, even, you know, zeroing in on certain words, like when she says, do you think they would try to hurt them? And he was like, they... 
like because they is him you know <laughs> them you know it's like it's such a it's a it's such a funny you know us and them pronoun switch up you know like who's us who is them who's they you know it's all so weird i thought that the way that the Lawrences played out in this episode was very unique because much like you were talking about this parental role, Mr. Lawrence offers her a tissue at the end of the phone call. Now she waves him off, but he seems legitimately empathetic in that moment, that that would have been a very difficult moment. And he seemed to actually want to offer some amount of comfort. Now, did you think that that was completely false or did you think that that, no, he actually does have that little paternal streak with her there? I don't think he does anything that's exactly false like that. You know, I think, I think he can, he's one of those people that finds truth in everything that he does. Okay. You know what I mean? I do. And in that moment, it seemed like the, the right thing to, to do for her. And a lot of no no other man in that room would have even thought about it. Oh no, they definitely weren't. So to that same point, we've been trying to discuss, you know, the the complexity of Mrs. Lawrence and this idea of like, is she having some sort of dementia? Is she having some sort of issues here? Her mental health seems to be extremely questionable, at least volatile in some way. But yet she's super lucid. Like after the phone call, she seems extremely aware of the stress that that phone call would have been, wants to do what any of us would have wanted to do, which was like console June and try to talk it out with her. And I thought that, you know, she ends up sharing more about herself and Commander Lawrence than really June did about her own life. So when the two of them are talking and it's revealed that, could you believe Commander Lawrence Paul is actually the king of mixtapes. <laughs> I, I guess that's probably a, a dark secret of a lot of guys in that in that age range. They're not all uh, Randy Marsh or, or, <laughs> or one of those kind of characters that you would expect to be like a mixtape king like that. It makes me think of the middle when um, the dad Mike is like he sings into the <laughs> into the message thing. Right. It's very like mixtape. He's How like, much he misses. Uh, Frankie. Frankie. Yeah, it's so funny. And Neil Flynn comes in the, the kitchen. He's like, what are you doing? Like He's like dying that that's been out there. But so she she gives this little spiel to June about how that he always used music to speak to Mrs. Lawrence. And that's how their love language basically worked. And I thought that it was really neat how they played that through all the way to Luke at the end with June and her mixtape message to him. I thought that was really, really a cool like bookend of this episode. This was at the very beginning. And then now we have this, you know, at the very end. And I enjoyed how much that she was able to find that little nugget about the Lawrences. And then now try to work that angle. Because so far, we've kind of been looking at each other like, what is it that June really has that makes her charismatic with these people? Like, why does she seem to have any influence with Fred Okay, they have this funky history. They went to Jezebel's. There's a whole lot of Scrabble. They've got some some time together, right? But with these other people, like she doesn't have the gravitas, if you will, to be able to influence what these people are doing. So now we finally have this little microscopic nugget that somewhere in this fucking house, there is a box of mixtapes. And if you could get your hands on them, and if you could somehow get them like moved upstairs somewhere where someone might play them again, you could influence 
influenced this couple. And I thought the idea that Mr. Lawrence probably still has a little sliver of this, you know, in his heart, no matter how much he's changed, he's still the man you love somewhere deep inside there. I thought that that was actually reasonable. Sometimes when we see June have influence, it seems very far-fetched. Like, why would anyone listen to her in this? And why wouldn't they just slap her in the face right now, you know? It helps that she hasn't actually had any ceremonies with Lawrence, I think. I agree with that. I think that tends to make the wives in question... A little bit more on edge. (laughs) Right, not thrilled. For sure. Right. I agree with that. Speaking of... Commander Lawrence, this reminded me, now that you were talking about it, you know, for being an author and a guy who who can turn a phrase that in, in, in very enigmatic ways makes you think, like, what's his actual meaning here? Because this could mean several different things. He's, I think he tends to like to use music to communicate to people emotional things, like how he did mm. with Walking on Broken Glass last yeah. season. That wasn't just a coincidence that he turned up the radio, right? Right. That was that was a little message, I guess, to Emily. Okay. And so also, so I guess if I'm, I'm interpreting what you're saying correctly, maybe the way that he is so analytical with his thought process and the way that he speaks to people in this very, I always go back to this like researcher scientist kind of way. It does make sense that in order to express emotion, he would actually need to like employ a tool like music because his analytical brain, like say maybe Sheldon in Big Bang Theory, there needs to be some sort of extra external way to show, you know, your love in some other way than just someone else says it better than you. Yes. Basically. Perfect. Perfect. So it works. I mean, it actually works. Like we see that by the end of this episode, Mr. Lawrence is playing music in the parlor with Mrs. Lawrence. Now it's still awkward. They're still very like uh, cold is too strong, but aloof with one another. You know, he's tried earlier in the episode to say something like, did you do something different with your hair? But it's all very like the music is like the, the hopefulness, you know, in that scene, that's like, Maybe there is a sliver of his past humanity where he remembers love and that that emotional side of the human experience. It was just a sliver. Just a sliver. But I agree that now, using music, we have a real shot at having the Lawrences make some actual headway because we needed something to pivot the storyline there. Like what was going to suddenly make Mrs. Lawrence come out of her shell? And we know that with um, dementia patients or people who have mental health issues or anything sort of in that aging kind of way, you can play music from a long time ago and it and it does spark memories and it does spark uh, an ability to be more verbal or more with it in, in the moment when the music is playing. So hopefully this gives us a, a solid foundation for, for this couple to actually make a move a different direction because I didn't see where this was going to change. I mean, she was just kind of floating around the house acting all crazy. And, you know, he was just, I don't know, walking around observing people saying saying these two-faced, three-faced, five-faced lines. It's like, what, how is this going to change? And so finally, we have a little moment here that's like, okay, I can see where the Lawrence household could become something different. If he's ever going to act in a way that is truly pro-June and our favorite people, I don't know that it's going to be June that's going to convince him to do it. I think it's going to be the wife. I agree. But not in her frazzled state. Right. You know? Right. It's got to be Lucid Lucy or whatever her name is. Mrs. Lawrence, right. Well, you know, that's funny when you said that because the phrase music 
soothes the savage beast. That comes to mind in terms of there's something about music that calms people, that helps them think more logically and lucidly, I guess I want to say. Yeah, I mean, I could actually see her coming to, you know, and actually asking him. And maybe maybe because those heartstrings are pulled on him listening to the music, he would be open to it now. It would be different if he... If the, if he had taken the tapes and put the case back on, you know, the, the the top back on the case and put them back, but he listened to them. Yeah, and we left with them listening to it. So I feel I feel good about that. Taking that concept that like you know everybody has a little bit of a change in their circumstance and suddenly their outlook's a little different. I'll move over to June's relationship with of Matthew because if you guys remember, of Matthew is our new walking partner as of late. She has drunk the Kool Aid like hardcore. She has had three babies already. She's very pro Gilead in the way I'm going to say that she feels if she plays her part. That she will get along and it will be okay, as she says. So not that she thinks that this entire idea is a great idea, but that not unlike Janine and Lydia from last week, if you just could play your part and do your part well, you're going to be fine. So she says to June, I've been praying for your husband, praying that he brings the baby back safe. (laughs) Ooh, damn. Of Matthew with your sass. Just trying to, you know, say the right things. You never know who's listening in this. But uh, then June does not give a shit about who's listening. She's all bite me, which, you know, I just read this awesome article that I'm, I'm afraid I'm very apologetic because I do not remember the author's name. I'm very sorry for that. But it was an article basically about the idea that this show is really asking us to give June such a long leash that it is really messing with the tension of the show. Because if you feel like no one and nothing can ever hurt June, then the stakes are vastly lower. And I remember saying it last week where I said, this feels impossible how much they're making her so invincible when we're supposed to feel like she's so vulnerable. And so saying things like, bite me, I feel like she should have gotten pushed in the back by a guardian. Like they need to be consistent. Like I'm not saying I want to see her beat, but like, come on guys, that's not okay. You set up the rules for us for two other seasons. You cannot do that and get away with it. And yet June walks around saying whatever she wants, doing whatever she wants. She should have taken a pop from Lydia last week. I know. And I, I, it's kind of killing me. So I, you know, I know that there were people who disagreed and was like, what are you talking about? Blah, blah, blah. But basically he was saying, you know, at this point, June could have been killed and we could have turned over to Alma or Rita or whomever within the storyline and started to follow one of their storylines. Like, because once you become a show that's not going to kill the main character, the tension's off. Like, you know, like they're not going to kill her. For the first couple seasons, we didn't have the backstory and uh, we had all these women getting disfigured all around us constantly, constantly. But now you're right. It's been, she's been bulletproof and she's caused the most trouble. And it's like, yes, there's things that happen. I mean, people would say, look, she's not totally bulletproof. Look, you know, they, they, they did, you know, thrash her feet in the previous episodes and stuff. True. Very true. But guys, the like moment to moment guardian watching the moment to moment, the commander is such a beast and just going to, you know, smack you around. The wife is this awful situation. All of those like kind of worries have been taken off of June's shoulders in a way that's like, well, (laughs) <laughs> she has an awful lot of time to sit around it down by the furnace and play mixtapes. 
mm-hmm. which that's just not a thing. You know, in the past, she's sitting upstairs, you know, in her jail cell of a room, you know, sleeping in the closet. Think about that for a second. How much the tension has ratcheted down a lot for our main character. So let's talk about of Matthew, though, Paul, because she has a real change of heart in this episode, in my opinion. Well, she's late and... Then there's a little bit of real talk at the at the store. I forget the names of the stores. There's like loaves and fishes and all flesh. And I think the difference is like one's a butcher and one's a, one's where you get other things that are like bread and Fish grain. And bread. Yeah. I don't know why they have, the, have these weirdo names like that. Well, they're from the Bible. All flesh. That's like a, that's a, that's a biblical term for a butcher i mean i don't i don't know if it's a biblical term for a butcher but i certainly understand that that it means meat right what strikes me about the grocery store is how much it looks like a A pharmacy no like it looks like a (laughs) um like a children's museum version of a of a grocery store like all the cans just have a picture of what the food would be and it's like brightly lit and the and there's very few cans on the shelves really can't have you women reading Yeah, but it it just the way though, I didn't think about it like that. I took it like how much they were infantilizing them, making them these children. And when you put them in this setting that looks like a play school setup and like a, like literally like a children's museum grocery store, there's something about it that seems so pretend and so fake that it goes far beyond the not reading. It's the, it's the actual like making them look like children. Do you think, you know, Gilead takes over some of America and in that part of America that they take over, there's like a couple different beans factories and a couple different ketchup factories and all that. But they go to, but when it comes time to, you know, make Gilead and and they have these stores where they just put a picture of ketchup on ketchup and beans on beans and, and they just put on the store. Does that mean like... On the same store shelf, because it's all just beans, right? You could pick up one can and it would be like one brand of beans actually on the inside. And then you get the, you get, you pick up the the can right next to it with the exact same label and it could be a completely different can of beans. Sure. You know what I mean? Like Black's brand beans or whatever, or whatever the Goya. Yeah. Well, that's, I don't know that they make beans. Pork and beans. Should Pork and beans. Too. Okay, but you get my point, right? Yeah. That's Wouldn't hilarious that, be... that you're taking that to be like, you would be the reporter in Gilead who would totally dig up that scandal and be like, look, I finally have, I have the reason we're going to take Gilead down. They've been putting bush beans inside of a Campbell's bean aisle. Like, that's hilarious. Well, could you imagine trying to get, you go to get no, ketchup. No, I think that's why get, the reads are always. Heinz off the thing, but instead you get that other kind that's not Heinz. Like, yeah, it's all watery and gross. I think that's why the Marthas are always so pissed off when the groceries come home they're always ripped right every single they're never time happy. martha's always like god damn it this is what you brought me because maybe it is like mystery meat inside that those cans like you don't know what you're gonna get maybe you open it up and it's like spaghettios maybe you open it up and it's like you know squash like uh, like maybe they do just put whatever labels they on just put stuff. some like wavy lines on the can <laughs> I, like- who knows i mean to me i find it fascinating that they took the time to do things like that because it's one thing to take down street signs or it's one thing to, you know, take the books away. It's a whole other thing that somebody has to sit around and print 
those labels with the pictures on them and, you know, like that kind of thing. Like that's a whole other thing. I mean, they could just have a bin of cans with one picture of beans on it, like above it, like a sign. Everything in this bin's beans, you know, instead of having to freaking like glue labels on every single one. I had some of that. But that's where it makes me think it's like a children's museum where there's like only like three beans on the shelf. Because if you remember when they would go, they'd say, oh, they had carrots today or whatever. As yeah, if that's right. Sometimes there's not any carrots at all because who the hell knows who's printing the carrot labels? You know, like, I don't know. Maybe they're, they're not, they got strung up on the wall that week. So I, yeah, I'm with you wholeheartedly, but let's get back to of Matthew P because this is kind of, this is an important part. So her pregnancy is really her pivotal moment to be like, holy shit, this is number four. Suddenly her tune is a lot more like, I'm glad that your baby Nicole and your husband are safe, period, end of sentence, no, and he should do the right thing and bring him back to the, none more of that. Like she seems to legitimately be taking that step that June needs her to be taking to become a viable partner in all of this. Wasn't the um, suicide bomber from last season, the previous true believer that was in the walking groups, wasn't she like the previous one that was like, Gilead is so great point of me mentioning that, whether or not I'm correct, is that she has all the makings of of the next, like, all all in. Yeah, totally breaks and does something spectacular. I think that's part of this story, again, that we have to keep going back to, is that everybody has a breaking point. And you don't really know where yours is. You know, for June, it was having one baby was like her breaking point. For of Matthew, this is her fourth pregnancy. I don't know if it's that she can't see the light at the end of the tunnel here or doesn't have any idea what's going to happen to her or she just can't bear to have another baby be taken from her. Whatever it is, breaking point. There's been some discussion on the internet, on uh, the Facebook group, Gilead Online, whether or not there's like a a clause for handmaids, like, you know, you, you give birth to so many kids and then bam, you know, it's all, you get sent off to the handmaid's farm where you get to sip lemonade all day or whatever your reward is. And I can't find anything to suggest that that's true. I think as long as you are a producing uh, woman, I don't think they're giving up on that ever. So go ahead and read the the part because a lot of people are stuck on this idea of three. And so there was this, a lot of talk in the, in the Facebook group and it's called Gilead online. If you guys want to join us over there, once you have three children, then you no longer have to do this. And that's not where the three comes in. This is from the, just a fan made wiki. Um, but these people do a lot of research and you're welcome to come and um, contradict them. But it reads pretty pretty realistically to me. It says, Handmaids have three chances to get pregnant in three different households during two-year assignments. If, after the third time, they are not able to produce a living, healthy baby, they will be declared unwomen and sent off to the colonies. Handmaids that become infertile or reach a certain age without ever having conceived are also sent to the colonies, as are women who refuse to become handmaids. So yes, there are some threes that figure into that, but I've read this whole article and it doesn't say anything about... Ever getting out of jail. Ever (laughs) getting out. No, all your options are give birth or go to the colonies. That seems to be the size of it, right? They don't come out and say that once you stop being able to... 
uh, actually bear children that you're sent to the colonies. But I would say it's pretty strongly implied. A lot of people were guessing, would you become an econo wife? Remember, like the idea that like perhaps you could become a Martha, all this stuff. I don't I, it seems like the end of of your reign hasn't really been thought about in all honesty, because there was some math that that a couple of different online magazines had done to figure out how many years we've been talking about. And apparently June's been in for five years is what is what the predominant pop culture thinking is right now, that this has been a five year time frame based on Oliver's age, based on what Emily says, based on things that June says. So given that, I don't know that Gilead has thought about what happens to these women at 10 years or 15 years or 20 years, you know? Right. I think that it was very much like one foot in front of the other. Like, let's just find out what happens, have a bunch of babies, then we'll deal with it then. You know, we'll see what happens to you. Because, I mean, there has to be a lot of assumptions that you're going to die during childbirth. You're going to, you know, whatever. You're going to start rabble rousing. We're going to kill you because we just want to. Or are the handmaids just a stopgap measure? Get their little society kind of bootstrapped into having children that are capable of both carrying and and giving birth to children. And so this is like the generation they need to create that future generation that that can do that. But that's not suggested anywhere. That's just me just talking. Right. And even still, it still doesn't really answer like, well, then where do do the handmaids go? You know, what happens to them? So we invite you guys who are listening right now, like, give us some feedback. Where do you think the handmaids go? Do you think they go to the colonies? Are they given a more cushy, like you did a good job, you get to, you get to live out your life, like in like a convent, like for, you know, handmaids where everyone just like hangs out together. You hang out and maybe you become some of those women that work at the red center like training aunt. other. Yeah. Maybe that's an aunt seems about right. Really, honestly, where you'd start training other younger women. That sounds, that seems right. Actually, when I think about it. So, all right, we don't know what's going to happen with, of Matthew, but she leaves with a very different concept of like, you know, uh, <laughs> Like, I'm late, and she isn't all being like, woohoo, and she hasn't even told her commander anybody yet. Her positivity of, I really think everything's going to be okay, it seems like everyone's looking at her like, what? <laughs> like, how's that of Matthew? How's that? Yeah. Let's talk about the meatiest meat, meat, meat of this story. I know it's taken us a bit to get here, you guys, but we got to get to this Waterford June situation because this is bananas. So June's influence actually makes a difference with Fred and he gives Serena voice at this meeting where they're going to determine how in the world are they going to deal with Nicole's kidnapping. In this meeting, I felt like the most interesting part that happened was, of course, that Serena got brought in and Fred used that very important phrase, you have a voice in this. That was very pointed, right? Yes. And secondarily, we find out this part that either Gilead has computer hackers that can get in and get these hospital medical records. Or I think a more interesting possibility is there's actual moles that are living and existing in America who are sympathetic to Gilead and are feeding information and um, and are helpful to the, to the Gilead cause. That is more interesting to me. So that maybe there's moles in America and Canada and all over the place. I don't know. But it makes sense to me that that is actually a huge threat to learn about rather than computer hacking. That's not as interesting to me. Certain nations, I'll just name, say, North Korea. We know that they have hackers, but what are the, what can they do outside of their, their country? We're not exactly sure. And so that brought us back to the question that we had earlier, which was, well, what can Gilead do? Absent of like a legal recourse, what can they do? 
And I think if there's actual sympathetic people in Canada and America and other countries, then I mean, I think that they can they have boots on the ground in a way that like people don't even realize. And that is far scarier. I like to think that people think of Gilead as um, as a future like North Korea, like no one deals with you. You're too far to whatever direction you've gone that is way different than ours. And so like how Mexico basically gave up on trade and Canada gave up on trade with them because it was just they couldn't deal with how crazy it was. I think that that could stand. The only problem is that if Gilead shows that they're producing children, any amount of children and no one else is, I think that that, you know, as grotesque as they feel like the lifestyle is and and everything, I think that they will sway other nations to listen. And I think that this general concept of stealing children from other nations, whether or not you get along with that nation, I don't know how that's going to sit with with developed first world countries. It, it's uh, it's very hard to, to know what to do in this, that situation. Of course, I think, of course, we keep all the children here, like without a doubt. But I could see where things would start to get real dicey, you know, about like what exactly is happening here. Mm-hmm. So Serena convinces June that she just needs to say goodbye. And just if say goodbye. June would just make this phone call to Luke and become the unknown caller that it's titled after that, you know, she could just set up this meeting. Serena will just go say goodbye, get the closure she needs, and this will all go away. It's all about closure. Closure. Now, what do you think, Paul? Did you doubt closure from get-go or were you like, well, perhaps she's being realistic here? Absolutely. That felt disingenuous. Like even, I can't say that Serena knew that she was being disingenuous. That's how disingenuous it was. She was lying to herself about the level of closure she was going to need with the kid. Or that that closure wasn't acceptable, Yeah, I think is even more that even by trying to go and get closure, you're you just like reopened the whole thing anyway. So there was like no way to get closure there. And I I feel like there was a lot of that conversation, like June tried to say, you're not going to get what you want out of this. You know, this isn't going to turn out what what you thought. Luke felt like he was saying the same things. You know, there seemed to be a lot of concerned citizens like, what do you what do you think is going to happen when you go and see this baby? You know, how do you think this is going to settle your heart? What did you think about the actual dynamic of the phone call? She had two minutes. She has all these people standing around her. They've got this like very um, secret service, like, you know, briefcase phone call business. What do you think about all that? I mean, I had a lot of like boring technical questions like, why'd they bother with all that? I mean, they're in a totally different nation. So you usually see that kind of stuff when they're like, well, we don't want them to know where we're calling from. We're calling from Gilead, of course. I mean... (laughs) I mean, what are they going to do? They're in a different country. So so what, the two minutes and then the weird hardware and uh, Carolyn and I have talked about this offline a little bit, but June didn't express any kind of threat to her that would make it so that Luke would feel like he had no choice but to, but to follow through with the plan. I understand that there's kind of an implied threat. You know, your wife is basically behind enemy lines, making you the first phone call you've heard in several years. Yeah, five. About this. There's an implied threat there. I think that, you know, when we did talk it through, the idea that, you know, her monotone, faux calm voice and her just really like not being flowery with her language, just being extremely clear. This is what needs to happen. Here's where you need to be. You know, these types of things. 
I mean, they're indicative of like a hostage phone call. And so I don't think that she needed to say like, I'm in danger. Like we all know she's in danger. Like he knows she's in danger. Everyone knows she's in danger. Like, I don't think that there was anything that she could say that would make her circumstances more clear to Luke. Like, I don't know if she could be like, I don't know if you're implying she could be like, I'm making this phone call against my will. Don't actually do it. Just the whole way that the whole, the whole thing went down felt not right. Okay. Like, I know we're going to get into it in a minute to just obviously discuss when they meet, but I wouldn't, they, I don't know, snatch freaking Serena when she comes along and be like, we got the baby and we got Serena. Why don't you give us back June? Maybe we'll give one of them back. Think creatively here, Canadians. I mean, shit. Well, that is part of this question mark though, about this whole idea of like, if Gilead is a recognized nation, then you can't be snatching people like that's and it's weird because on one hand it's like you can't because that's not like civilized and yet it's like but Gilead is snatching our people and doing all this kind of stuff but it's like it's this weird like just because they do it doesn't mean we can do it you know and doesn't mean that we like sink to their level of the way that they behave that's how it feels now I'm with you like I think there's a lot of things Canadians could be doing especially after we saw how close Emily really was it's really hard to believe that like a whole lot of people couldn't be getting across on the regular. Why wouldn't they be having this meeting at some sort of official state level? I don't know the right Canadian term, but I assume that there's something akin to an American embassy in Canada. Because America still exists. It's just much, much, much smaller than it was. Okay. So I'm sure there's an American embassy. That seems like the right place to be having this discussion, doesn't it? Well, I appreciated this whole idea of it being a public place, but it implies that there's some sort of safety in public, which is dubious because I don't feel like anybody would do anything necessarily. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Like, no, they wouldn't. And and in fact, Gary, you're, you're this you're this dude holding this this baby who you don't really match, and then there's this woman, and you're having this tense conversation, and there's all these eyes on you. I mean. It's not easy operating just under scrutiny like that, where you need to say or maybe do drastic or harsh things for the for your own self-interest. You know what I mean? Because it's like, well, what if these these outsiders involve the authorities or, or something like that? Um, and yet the authorities are like already involved. That's the part that gets like super weird. You just like, got this one dude. Are you talking about the Guardian? Yeah. No, no, no. Um, the, the the diplomat guy. See, I kind of think that, I mean, of course, I don't believe that it was just the diplomat. I mean, you don't think that there were like other like plain clothes people. I would have rather had this shit like with recording devices in the room and our armed guys, you know, around the doorways. I Sniffer dogs. I'm not and quite sure why they played it out this way. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm if I would have even done it. I mean, I'm sorry. I would have need like some like something from me to be like, you know. That it's for real. That you would re- that I'm really asking you to do this. Yes. Because there's no part of that conversation on the phone call that actually leads you to believe that June is actually like, yay. You know, like it almost seems like I feel like he should have asked her something like, if you really want me to do this, tell me where our first date was or something like that, where like the people around her couldn't know whether she gave the right answer. And so she could give an answer that could give the the information to him without outing herself. Luke and I aren't the same guy at all. But if I'm, if I'm say, Paul in that situation, instead of Luke. Let's just say you're Paul. I'd be thinking, my wife just just got this baby to me. And now the woman 
that he that she got the baby away from wants to come and say quote goodbye i'm going to be thinking my wife just got the baby away from you and i assume that's for a good reason why like you're a nation keeping women hostage and raping them right so why why i'm sorry about your goodbyes but your goodbye already happened it was it was in gilead that was that was it I agree. I felt like there should have been something more that was being said or something more that like Luke was going to get out of it. Like they say something like we will bring Hannah for a visit with you. Something. I don't know. Anything. He could have asked for something in return. June has a you owe me one. Yeah, Uh, but she's going to have to she's going to have to honor that, you know, and I don't know. uh, Obviously, as we move along here, Serena is a, a turncoat. All right. So let's so we have the phone call and then we have this preparation period where Serena is going to gather these things to go. What did you think about this necklacey pendanty? prayer thing she has to give to the baby. Well, the whole thing with the pictures and uh, the the necklace and all that, like... Uh, very gaggy to me. I don't know why. I can't explain it better than gaggy. I guess we're supposed to understand that even in the short amount of time that they had to quote-unquote bond, that Serena had been so... had been hinging so much of her sanity, I guess on believing that this is a viable system, you know, this handmade system, that she needed it to work so goddamn bad that she had to make herself believe that this is my daughter. And what's so crazy, though, is like, how do you go from that? And then, yeah, you're right. Let her go ahead and go. Like, it's it really does beg the question of like, you're right. Like, you have to buy into the system so hardcore. And even to have that need to need to say goodbye, like you have to have this idea that she is so so bonded to the baby but then it's like then why'd she ever let her go it's like a heart head thing maybe yeah i go with the heart head thing I i'm like not that. sure which is the heart and which is the head in the situation i think the I, heart is loving the baby um, and, and wanting the actual best for the baby i think the head is saying like she's never gonna learn to read here I don't think your heart thinks that. Rita gives this unexpected package to Serena and they do this like hanger walk, her and Fred, which I love the music that they used in that. It was very The Leftovers. I totally, totally, totally Yeah, the it. chords sounded Oh my God. Close. So good. So, so good. If you guys have not listened to Leftovers music, um, it's- um, Max Richter. So good. So like, just like, hits you right in your heart i swear so there's like no kissing no hugging no nothing and she gets in this cargo plane which you had like a real like eyeball about like why is she in a cargo plane it kind of made it seem like this wasn't an actual official state thing they needed an inconspicuous plane to get in and out of both countries rather than something flying the gilead flags on it as like a diplomatic you know, mission. So I think you hit the nail on the head there. I think that that is our indicator that this is not a sanctioned situation between Canada. And this is why we are not meeting at the embassy. This is why we are not full of, you know, the helicopters and the police and everything, because this is not, this is, uh, this is below board. You know, this is us trying to give this moment to Serena quietly without getting all these international everything's involved. Naive and dumb. <laughs> nice. Okay, so they have this meetup. Luke is not having any of this. He's super pissed. I mean, she's all like, "They should be." He's like, "Fuck you!" Like, I mean, it like goes bad real fast. Did you feel like that it played out as you expected? Did you think that Luke should have been more nasty? Do you think he should have been more open with her? What did you think? I mean, since he's there, he might have 
again, if this is Paul and not Luke, uh, it would have been all nasty all the time. You know, if, 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 it, if there was no choice but to be there, then yeah, it would have been all fuck yous. The part where they get down to the, to the details of the child, like, is she eating solid food? Does she have, you know, all these kind of things? And he banters back and forth. Is June safe? Where is she? She's with Joseph Lawrence. There's this exchange of info going back and forth. I wish that had gone on a little bit longer. And I thought that that part was actually very realistic. That is actually what both sides would want to get out of this. This is the chance for Luke to say, like, where is she? Where is it located? What's the name of the commander? What other things do I need to know? Like, you know, those kind of details. And she's getting the stuff she wants to know, you know, about the baby. Now, where I felt like it unraveled was going back to the every child has a right to their story, even if it's complicated. All right, Serena, you're losing me, bitch. Like, I mean, (laughs) now you're getting into this weird place again where it's like, what are you doing? Why? I mean, if you wanted her to grow up with this lockety thing or whatever, I just I don't know what exactly she wants Luke to be telling the baby. I don't know if if you're Luke, do you just say like, sure, I'll tell the baby whatever you say just to have her like release her bonds? Or do you like bark back and be like, no, I'm not going to tell her that. I'm going to tell her that, you know, you're an evil wench and you did this and blah, blah, blah. Or do you go with it so that she just like feels better and leaves, gets the closure? Just before she said that, Serena said something that amounted to, I'm going to get the wording wrong, but the but the feeling was, I have protected June. I have. Ex- she says that. She says, you need to understand, I protected your wife. And she didn't explain that. He had questions, but she didn't explain that. And so he did loosen up a little bit at that point, right? Yeah. So it was... It was a little like, well, I don't know what to do with that, but there's now there now there's an actual threat there, as because you wouldn't mention that unless you meant to say, and I could right that could come and go, yeah, at, uh, at my whim. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Now, did you think that it was realistic that when Serena said, "Is there anything you want me to tell your wife?" and Luke says, "No," this isn't a friend. This isn't Aunt Sally. This isn't. I don't know. You, I don't know that you would send tell her I love her with this woman. You know what I mean? Okay. Cause that actually implies like some sort of like trust with her. And you want to make it clear. Like I've got, like, I don't want any connection with you. I don't need you being my messenger to my wife. I don't want to see you again with a message back to me. Like, I just want this to be done. Yeah. I don't want to feel like, uh, I owe you one for saying something nice to my wife for me. Even, like even at that very basic onesie twosie level. I like that. That makes a lot of sense to me. I really appreciate that. We have this moment when Serena is heading back. We have the the diplomat say, you know, my offer still stands. You don't have to change back into your clothes, which I would like to say it was really refreshing to see the actress. Yvonne Strahovski. Not have to be in that tight bun and the and the dress and everything. Instead, be in these very normal clothes. And all of a sudden, she looked so normal. I even wondered if that was her baby in real life because she has had a baby in real life recently. I wondered if they were using the same baby. As a small baby and they, they seem to be fond of each other. I definitely felt like the idea that like you don't have to change back and you could just stay here. I'm really, really, really wishing that they would have given us a better reason why she didn't stay. Because if her baby is on this side and she's not in love with Fred anymore and the system's messed up and she's probably not going to have another shot at another baby. You're right. What is she staying for? What is she going back to? Her mom's a complete hag. <laughs> nice. Even, even, Serena. even if there had been a single look back 
from the hangar to the plane when she got on the cargo plane? Well, she had the moment when she closed the, the door from the hallway to like the kind of hangar area and she kind of flipped out and she was kind of like yelling and crying and it was yeah. this slow mo thing. I mean, I guess that's sort of kind of her like, I wish I could stay, but I can't. I'm so torn kind of moment. But I want to know what made her go back. I want to know like what... Is it because there's nothing that I can pick up on that's like, besides her just pride, her pride of like, I chose this life, so I'm going to stick it out. I I mean, but other than that, I mean, I can't even, there's nothing. There's just freaking nothing on the other side. I bet the pride is is a strong one for her. I'm sure it is. I, I just, I wish they gave us a little nugget there. We really needed it. Now, there was other stuff in her bag. And I was a little confused because at first I thought that she had not, in fact, given that package over to Luke. But it turned out she did. She, yeah, she must have left it in the room or... or Something. Got, she got the dude's attention or what. So, but then there was like a, if you need me, and it appeared to be like a cell phone or like even like a walkie talk. Or a satellite phone? Satellite phone. That's the right That's word. That's what they kind of Satellite look like. phone. Okay, Paulo. Is she going to use the satellite phone? Is this Chekhov's satellite phone? I hope so. I, I've been seeing a lot of uh, other viewers ad- admitting that this season feels like it's dragging to them, even even as young as it is. And I've seen other reviewers with, with access to the whole thing saying that they're not sure where it's going. And so something like that would really spice things up. The rough part is that it's not like these people don't have a way to get out. Like we said again, like Serena could have left. She could have just like walked away. You know, I don't believe the Guardian within Canada had any right to do anything. What was he going to do? Machine gun everybody in the airport? Maybe we got to find out what that thing is that brought her back and she's got to lose that thing. You know what I mean? I want to know what that thing is. If you guys who are listening have a have an idea of like, what is the thing? What? Why do you think she came back? What? Especially if she has some shot at continuing to talk with Luke and maybe convincing. I mean, by the end of the conversation, he allowed her to, to hold the baby. And, you know, like there was actual like movement in that, you know, where he was like, get away from me to like, okay, you can hold the baby. Like, I believe she could have finagled, you know, some time with the baby. See, Luke worked the whole thing wrong. He he only realized about three quarters of the way through, he could start asking questions about June. Agree. You know? Yes. It should have been like, here's here's the going rate. Three questions about June and I'll, and I'll let you get one in. You know what I mean? I like that very much. Ah, Luke. <laughs> she does go back. She does have some more supplies in her kit here. Her getaway bag, if you will. Go bag. Has more supplies in it. If you guys remember back in season two, the ninth episode, Smart Power, is when she has that interaction the last time she came to Canada where the American had given her the matchbook mm-hmm. with um, the phone number and basically a promise that he, he could safely get her to Hawaii and that the information that the fertility issues it had been discovered was all with the men. So if she would just walk away from Fred, then she could have a baby all on her own with all the fertility methods, 100%, no problem, and be the mom she wanted to be. So she's got a lot of opportunity smoking in that bag. Yep. Pride. Pride, I'm afraid, might be it. But I but I hate that because I want there to be something better than that. You know, I mean, the reason why June didn't go is Hannah. But what the hell does Serena have? What is she running back to? The only thing I can think of is that it's this whole idea of like burning the whole place down to the ground. 
That, but it just still doesn't, ah, it just doesn't drive. It doesn't drive yet, guys. Not yet. I don't know. We'll see where that goes. Okay, so now we have fork in the road of our two post-meeting scenes. So we have Luke. Luke with, uh, he, he opens up the the package that he gets from wherever, the, the Canadian people. It is the message from June. And this is a very nice little part of the story. If you watch a lot of serialized television, one of the more maddening portions of serialized television is where the flow of information is sort of artificially constricted to draw out the drama, right? Okay. And instead, she doesn't say June plus Nick equals the baby you're taking care of, but she almost does. She says all she really needs to Did say. She said it was a for, driver. It was a driver, right? So she doesn't. And Maybe she says, it was, "I think, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right." So she says everything. Yeah, that's a really nice little thing, you know, that doesn't always happen in these kinds of shows. You know, can he deal with with this infidelity baby that's not his? But he already kind of knew that anyway, and it's now it's in his face. About, I mean, of course, he knew that. But now it's kind of in his face. It's one thing to kind of have this like cloud but but another thing to know like it's actually the dude you met in the bar that night (laughs) you know what i mean yeah and maybe even though more importantly it's not the waterfords they have no biological tie to this baby and i think that part should be important and i hope that that tape maybe actually helps whenever this next part happens good freaking call because if it's not the waterfords baby if it's not fred as the father then oh, June's going to get in so much trouble because he's got to use the tape. He's got to use the tape to get to get the right. Am I playing this out right? Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about this for a second. Okay. So we have this really freaking intense scene where June gets hauled away and this super creepy get naked time, and she's given this brand new dress. I had no effing idea what was going to happen. Did you think we were going to a torture chamber? Well, I thought we were going to a you're in trouble area because if you remember that time. When uh, they hauled off Emily and they um, they hanged her her lover, do you remember that? Yeah, and they cut her clit off. That's what I remember. Well, but that's not the part in the van. The van, remember, they just had them in the van for a second. It had no features on the inside of the van, and then all of a sudden they just come in, open the door, take the woman out, and you can see them hanging her by a crane on the as they drive away with Emily. Yep. Same van. <laughs> so that's a pretty scary freaking van to see as a viewer. So that's all. That's my visual association is you're in trouble. So when they were having her get naked, though, and Lydia was like, ah, doing her Mrs. Garrett routine. What did you think they were going to do? I mean, I saw her getting out these boxes that very much appeared to be clothing boxes. Mm-hmm. What did you think was happening? I have to admit, my brain wasn't really working right then. Of all the things that that they got out that they could have gotten out of those clothing boxes a nicer version of the handmaid's dress was the last thing i expected really. i agree that's exactly what i thought somehow i don't know what the hell i thought i thought she was being given a different uniform like she was going to change classes or something like maybe you're not a handmaid anymore maybe you're going to be something else i don't even i don't know i don't know what the hell i was thinking whenever there are north koreans put in front of non-north koreans they are always coached and they are and they are often kind of dressed up, you know? Sure. So this is the same kind of thing, isn't it? Instead of like these drab, simple coverings for the 
handmaids. Now we've got this like fitted, it's not so bad after all kind of dress. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, definitely uh, when you looked at what Serena and Fred looked like, she was wearing a more updated version. It had like this very way more... Uh, interesting neckline and everything. And he was wearing the braided decorations on his, on his uniform and everything. So certainly, yeah, it looked like, it looked like the British Royal family, you know, it looked very fancy. She looked like, like basically like it looked like a Catholic Cardinal's outfit that she was actually wearing. So it looked religious, but it looked very pretty. I want to say simple, but pretty. Did you notice when Lydia comes along, she goes posture and she shoves her head down so her chin's in her, in her neck. Funny. Cause it's, cause it's, I mean, it, that's not correct posture, but in that, in that context, it kind of quote unquote is, but for the rest of the universe, holding your head up high is, is correct posture. Requesting this entire situation now, I mean, we all saw this coming, right? I mean, we all saw from the second that they were like, can you identify Luke in this, you know, iPad video? Is this your husband? Blah, blah. I mean, we all saw this coming, that there was going to be a public plea there was going to be this like, a, you know, plea to the Canadian government to get this kidnapped baby back. I do want to say that I thought it was really cool the way that they did the sound at that ending part where Fred was talking to the audience and he's saying it's a family matter. And then the his voice starts droning slower and slower and slower. Me, I perceive that as sort of like time slowing down in her own head as she realizes that everything that she has gone through in the last, for us, several episodes is coming unraveled. And I took it more like going back to her, you know, with the boombox in the basement and the Walkman that Luke had, that if you guys ever listened to a cassette tape on a device that was, the battery was losing power, the tape would slow down and start getting that warbly, like, kind of sound where it's like, you're losing power. And I took this as a bookend to that um, episode, season two ninth episode because that one's called smart power and so then i was kind of like linking this to that as like her power is like seeping out of her you know we're like watching it happening it's all gonna get out of her hands you know like that's the thing like this was an agreement between her and serena and luke and now government officials are going to be making decisions about her baby save that baby he's got to use that tape but to use that tape the canadian government's going to be like how do you get this fucking tape who made this tape? The whole thing across the whole board. I mean, everything. And then having to say to the Waterfords, like, you're not the father. I mean, the whole thing is going to go like bananas bonkers if that's how this all plays out. I don't know. That's certainly what I see. I mean, if you make an audio tape like that, it's got to be used, right? I mean, that's the only linking next step. It's his only play if the government comes knocking and says, we got to get back the to the The government's going to come knocking. There's no way that they're just going to let this be where it's like, oh, so then the Waterfords make a plea on television and nothing happens. Luke, like they can't, it's just not what's going to happen. Not, we're, he, we're going down this road. He doesn't have it in him to run. Like, because he had that chance before and he kind of, he needed a lot of help running. So slow. So slow. Oh, you guys. uh, The last thing I wanted to mention in this episode was the continued use of this fire symbolism. Like when Mrs. Lawrence and June were sitting, there was this first influence about music. They're sitting by a fire and then June goes down in the basement and she's sitting by the furnace and it's it's a matchbook that Serena was given um, that she's carrying with her and 
all these little moments of fire and this whole, again, going back to this chant that we have about burn this mother down. Um, I just see lots and lots and lots of uses of fire that I, I keep my eyes wide open for. You know, what's interesting is, is that in our lives, just as middle-class people living in suburbia and a first world nation, our contact with fire is minimal. I mean, yeah. we use it in controlled situations like internal combustion engines or a birthday candle, water heater, or things like that. But now the only have we not hold on, you have no connection to your internal combustion. I know what I, that's not exactly right. Heater. That is no, exactly I, what the I'm only saying. Time, here's when I can think of like two times I actually have any interaction with fire. Ready? One, lighting a birthday candle. Two, lighting a regular candle for a nice smell. That's it. I but, don't have any connection with fire other than that. But in this show, they're quote unquote, shall we say, playing with fire. All the time. Constantly. All the time. Like candelabras. Franklin stoves and things. You know, everything. Like, <laughs> there's fire everywhere. Even the, even the smoking scenes. So yeah, I think it's interesting and I think it's coming happening faster and faster and faster. And it's interesting to see who's controlling the fire and when. So thanks so much for listening, you guys. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.